Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning. Could we stand together as we are in Colossians? We're going to be in chapter 3, verses 18, going into the first chapter, of, uh, first verse of chapter 4. Um, today is definitely one of those passages that is, uh, I don't think I'm going to have to try to keep your attention this morning. Uh, what I want to ask you to do is, uh, as I'm reading these verses, listen to your heart, listen to your mind. What does the Word of God do to you as I, uh, as I read it? So let's start with uh, Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verse 18. And you can read along on the screens or in your own Bible. Here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1 begins, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we always need you. Um, we always need you to help us to understand your word. And if we've ever needed your spirit to teach us, it's this morning. So I pray that uh, the things that are taught this morning would be in alignment with the truth. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would take anything that is heard wrongly or spoken wrongly, that you would correct it. Lord, help us to understand your word, your heart, your desire, because when we walk uh, by your spirit in truth, it is, takes us to life in Christ. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let me ask you this. As I was, you can maybe be seated. As I was going through this passage, did you feel any tension in your heart and uh, in your mind and anything that I read? Because this is uh, a passage that deals with children. It deals with what was called bond servants and masters. And uh, it deals with husbands and wives. And this morning, I'm going to spend probably 75% of our time on wives and husbands, and that's because of all the topics I've ever preached on. When I preach on this topic right here, it can be one of the most prickly and emotionally charged subject to address. Can I get an amen on that? It is, right? But this is the Word of God, and one of the reasons that we preach through books is so that we don't just preach on topics that we want to preach on. 
And we've come, we are going straight through the book of Colossians that we're seeing that Jesus is greater than anything. And so this is in the word of God. And so we're not gonna try to avoid it or skirt around it. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God that's speaking to us may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God uses all of his scriptures to correct us and to encourage us and to equip us to serve him in this lifetime. And so, you know, we desire to be thoroughly equipped by the full counsel of God's word. And so we're going to be this morning looking at the relationships found within the family. And I don't think that I need to come up with some scenario to to try to convince everyone in this room that the nuclear family that we know is, is in, is, in uh, is disintegrating rapidly and is in shambles in our country, even in the church. And this is largely because we have ignored God's clear teaching on the family. And so that's what we're going to kind of delve into this morning. It's, it's a greater topic. I could have taken each section and preached an entire message, three messages on each section, but I'm, I'm going to try to get them all in one sermon here this morning. And so I'm going to touch on some things, and, and uh, this is something that we want to keep having discussions here. Uh, if there's something I say this morning that's like, I don't understand that, or I don't think you see it rightly, let's sit down and talk about it. Because we, uh, we want to walk in the truth, all of us, and we don't all see truth clearly as we need to. I keep growing in this passage and understanding what it means as I continue to grow as a disciple. But when we're looking at this text, these texts here, these verses here, we have to be uh, careful not to isolate them from the rest of the book of Colossians. Sometimes that's what we do. We just take these verses and just throw them out there without looking. Why did Paul write this? Why why did God write this through the Apostle Paul? And there is a bigger theme that that Paul wants us to see in in Colossians, and that is Jesus. This passage is about Jesus. It's not primarily about husbands and wives and children and slaves and and masters and, and fathers. It's about Jesus, his supremacy, his sufficiency, that he is greater than anything. That's what we have been trying to trying to convey through this passage of Colossians. It's about Jesus, not primarily about us. We're in the story, but it's primarily about Jesus. So we don't, uh, he's greater than anything, and we don't need to try to add or take away from who he is or what he has done. And last week, if you'll remember, if you were with us, we were uh, challenged to examine ourselves. Is Jesus your life? Is he everything for you? And Paul, you know, he's pleading with his listeners. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you belong to Christ, then quit wasting your time and your energies on temporal things of this earth and set your hearts and your minds and your affections on Jesus. We can't forget that as we are moving through this passage. If we forget Jesus, then everything I teach this morning is just law that is going to be difficult for all of us all of us to follow. So we need to be filled with Jesus. We need to be saturated with Jesus. We need to be enamored with who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And if he is, he will fill us and he will control us in a life-giving way in all areas of our life. Last week, the last verse that we went over was verse 17, which says this, 
and whatever you do. If you're full of Jesus, this is one of those verses you're like, yes. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, there was a lady whose name was Corey Ten Boom who lived back during World War II. She was the daughter of a Dutch clockmaker who suffered at the hands of the Nazis in concentration camps because she and her family hid Jews from the Nazi regime. And she went around, she was a Christian, and she went around speaking afterwards about what God had done in her life. And she gives this example of what it looks like when Jesus You're full of Jesus when he's filling you. She said this, I have a glove here in my hand. The glove cannot do anything by itself, but when my hand is in it, it can do many things. True, it is not the glove, but my hand in the glove that acts. And then she makes that analogy over to us. We are gloves. It is the Holy Spirit in us who is the hand who does the job. We have to make room for the hand so that every finger is filled. I love that. Uh, When we learn how to savor and to value Christ supremely, something happens within us. He fills us like a glove with his Holy Spirit. And when he does that, he empowers us to serve him in ways that glorify God. And, And this morning, we're going to be exploring what it looks like in the life of a wife, a husband, a father, a child, employer, and employee. We're going to look at what it looks like when Jesus is filling and reigning in us supremely. What does it look like in each of those um, individuals? And if you're taking notes, we're going to jump right in. We're going to start, ladies, with you, with the wives, because that's where they start in Colossians. I don't know why the wife comes first, but it does. And so that's the the order that we're going to go. And uh, there's an overarching statement that I want you to see is is that when when Jesus reigns supremely, then wives become, and you can write this down, empowered helpmates. Let's look at verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. We're going to also, I'm going to look at Ephesians 5 with this also, because that's the expanded version of, of uh, of this teaching. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of, of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is, him, is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, for us, this is the probably the most prickly passage that we're going to, uh, verse that we're going to look at this morning, probably. Um, it's because of that word submission. And so we got to ask the, the question, what does the word submit mean? I like what New Testament scholar Douglas Moo says about this. He says, submission suggests a voluntary willingness. That's important to understand, a voluntary willingness to recognize and to put oneself under the leadership of another. I've heard some people explain that submission is submission, putting yourself under the mission of, a, of another. It's allowing someone to lead you. Um, and husbands, I want to talk to you. Uh, you need to listen to this because I asked my wife and several other women um, a question. I, I asked them, why is this teaching difficult for women? 
Um, I have my own ideas, but I'm a man, so I wanted to hear directly from women. And one of the reasons that they said that they gave me four reasons. I'm going to give the other three in just a minute, but I'm going to give you the first one here. They said that it's difficult as a wife when your husband isn't leading. It's difficult to follow someone that's not going anywhere. It's hard to follow a parked car, is what they're saying. <laughs> I love that. But, but someone, uh, but submission uh, is coming under the leadership of someone and allowing them to lead you. If they're forcing you, that's not submission. You're allowing yourself to be led. And so when we follow Jesus, and I'm talking about the entire church, when we follow Jesus, what are we doing? We are submitting to him. We are submitting to his leadership. He doesn't force us to follow him. We are, we are learning how, we are, we are following him out of a, uh, of a desire to want to follow. That's what the Holy Spirit produces in all of us as believers. And every section that I'm going to talk about this morning has to do with submitting to God in certain areas. And two things I want to point out here in this in verse 18 is that verse 18 is a command for a wife to submit or to follow her own husband. Not every man in the church. Secondly, husbands, I want us to see that God is speaking directly to the woman. It does not say husbands make your wives submit. It says wives. He speaks directly to the wives. Choose to submit. Choose to follow your husband. And when it comes to the relationship between children and parents, uh, there are times when our, when, when our children are disobeying us and we are called to, to bring disciplinary actions to them. But this is never, ever to be in the relationship between a husband and a wife. Relationally, husbands and wives are equal. Uh, we're equal peers, we're equal lovers, we're to be equal friends, we are to be mutual counselors to one another. Gentlemen, I hope you realize your wife has wisdom that you need. We need to hear, thank you. Gentlemen, I'm going to say that again. Gentlemen, I hope you understand that we, our wives have wisdom we need. Amen. <laughs> Gentlemen, that was lame. I'm, I'm sorry. We're not moving on until we get a name. Amen? Amen? All right, thank you. Guy, hold on, ladies. The men are coming later, okay? We're going to get there, okay? I promise you. So anyway, it's not about, uh, submission is not about equality. I, I want us to understand that. It's not about equality. We know this because even within the Godhead, Jesus, the Son of God, who is equal to God the Father, submitted to the Father perfectly while he was on earth. Colton, I don't know if you read the passage I'm going to read again, but Philippians chapter 2. Uh, this, this is just a confirmation of the Spirit of God uh, working in our church. But look at what Jesus, it says about Jesus. The Lord, the Creator, says, Though Jesus was in the form of God, though He was equal to God, look at this, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself by taking the form of a servant. That word servant there is doulos. It's the same word that is in our passage today when it talks about bond service. Jesus became a bond servant. Okay, we need to understand the king became a bond servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. 
obedient. That word obedient is the same word that's used for children to obey their parents. The exact, exact same word. Be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus, our Lord, our King, our Sustainer, submitted Himself to the leading of God the Father to the point of death. And, and we see Him say this when He's in the garden. Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. But what did He say? Not my will, but yours be done. He followed the Father. He is the, wives, he is the perfect example to motivate and empower you to submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Now, I want to say I know that this teaching is a difficult teaching, and many of us, or not many of us, many, uh, it's difficult to stomach. And that might be you this morning. And so I know that, and so that's why, again, I asked my wife, what are reasons that, that uh, this is a difficult teaching for women? And uh, she said, uh, I've already given the first one, that uh, if your husband's not leading, that, that makes it really difficult. It makes it almost impossible in some ways. Uh, secondly, this one lady told me something that was uh, really, um, I thought it was very truthful. It, it is truthful and transparent. She said it's, um, it's because we don't like being told what to do. And I was like, that's good that she, that she would say that because we do have a sinful nature that resists what God wants us to do. So she was very uh, open about that. Another one is uh, that submission has been abused. It has been abused by man, men. It has been weaponized by men, some men, to keep women trapped in abusive relationships. Now, I know this just uh, through seeing this. There was uh, one situation down in South Carolina when we used to live there. I knew a, a a man and a woman, uh, this lady was in, uh, uh, her husband was a, an abusive, drug-addicted man, but he knew the Word of God. That's dangerous when, when someone knows the Word of God. He knew it enough to take it and twist it and say, look, I've never had an affair or cheated on you, so you cannot leave me. And he held her under a wrong teaching of this subject here. That's just one of billions, I'm sure. But that is not, listen, that is not what this passage is teaching in any form or fashion. And, and listen, if you are in a situation where your husband is physically abusing you, if, if he is laying hands on you, if he's um, uh, treating your children abusively, then you need to immediately seek safe refuge out of that situation. If you don't know anyone that can help you, come talk to me, contact me, contact the church. We have resources. We will get you out of that situation and get you into a safe place. If you are being abused by a man, you need to get help. Men need to protect men, uh, women and children from other abusive men. Um, there's also situations where uh, men are abusing their wives mentally and emotionally. And uh, those are situations that you might need to be separated from that situation for uh, to get help. And hopefully that the husband would repent um, if, you, if, that's, if you think you're in that situation, I strongly encourage you to seek counsel uh, from godly men and women who can assess the situation and can come in and help in that situation. But what I want us to see this morning is that Christ-exalting submission, listen, is never meant to keep a woman imprisoned and oppressed and held down by an abusive and controlling husband. The fourth reason that was given to me why it's, it's difficult for women uh, to, this passage can be difficult for women, is because of 
of lack of faith. In other words, they don't believe that God's word really works. If I do this, it's not going to work. And some of you may be saying, look, if you knew my husband, listen, he's not leading, he's not honorable, and he is just difficult to come under. And guess what? I would agree with you. I wouldn't argue with that at all. Um, we can be difficult creatures to live with, and submitting to us can be extremely difficult. But I will say also that uh, if it's not because he's worthy that you submit to him in a godly way. It's not because he's worthy. It's because the Lord uh, gave us that example, and that's how he created things to work. And he did not submit to the Father and die for us because we were worthy, right? We need to remember that. And listen, if your husband isn't leading, um, I can tell you by my own testimony that God can use your submission to win him. I'm telling you this from firsthand experience. I know I keep talking about my mine and Kelly's uh, marriage 30 years ago when we first were married. Um, I was uh, in a place where I was telling her to disobey God by not going to church. I thought that all churches were apostate back when, uh, 30 years ago. And um, she would not submit to that because I was asking her to do something ungodly. But the way that she did it was honoring. Uh, people were telling her, you need to divorce him. You need to get away from him and divorce him. Uh, but Kelly knew the word of God. She didn't just know it. She believed it and she obeyed it. And she did her best to honor a man who was extremely dishonorable. And God, listen to me, used her faith, filled submission to bring me back around. And if you know uh, what God has done in our life since then, you, we know that God is the God who can redeem any situation. And so, um, ladies, there's no guarantee that if you obey God that your husband will respond to God. There's no guarantee. I was talking to uh, Abby about this on the way over here, just that this whole concept, because I wanted to get another uh, view from another woman. And I said that, you know, there's no guarantee. And she said, well, you know, Jesus knew that when he went to the cross. He knew that submitting to the Father, most people would not respond to his death. I was like, I'm going to use that this morning in the sermon. That, that is a perfect gospel example of, of where our obedience comes from. And that's not just to ladies, it's to all of us. It's not dependent upon the other person. It's between us and God to obey him in that. And there's something, ladies, there's something powerful about a spirit-filled wife. Um, when you are filled with Jesus and you're, uh, he gives you that inward peace and strength and he empowers you to be that helpmate to your husband. And again, God can use your faith-filled Submission to strengthen, to encourage, and even to convict your husband into becoming a godly leader. Okay. Husbands. Let's move on. When Jesus reigns supremely, husbands and fathers become sacrificial leaders. When Jesus reigns supremely in a husband or a father, they become a sacrificial leader. Let's look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. 
Let's go over to Ephesians 5, where it's expanded. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's where the sacrificial part comes. That he might sanctify her, speaking of the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way that Christ loved the church, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no, no one ever hated his own flesh. And here's what we're supposed to do, husbands. But nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. We are to, through Christ, nourish and cherish our wives. Now, fathers, I'm going to go ahead and touch, go to fathers at the same time here. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Ephesians 6, uh, verse uh, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, husbands and fathers, we have been called by the Lord to lead our families. We are called by the Lord to love, to nourish, to cherish our wives. How? Sacrificially. Just as Christ loved and sacrificed himself for us, the church. And you know, it's interesting to me that as I was doing research on this, verse 18 that's offensive in our culture about women submitting is, is very offensive in our culture. That, it would not have been, that would not have been the offensive verse back in the first century. Back then, verse 19 would have been the offensive verse to the ears of men. The one that says, husbands, Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And that's because back then, wives were seen as property and treated as property by the Romans. And, and to, to, teach why, to teach that wives are equal to their husbands and that husbands should sacrificially love, cherish, serve, lay down their lives for their wives was radically offensive back then. And uh, it's important to understand and to see that true Christianity, the true heart of Jesus, has always been to elevate women, children, and men to the same level of equality. That's why it says there's neither Greek nor Jew, nor circumcised nor uncircumcised, male, female, slave, or free in Christ. We are all equal, but we have to understand we do have different roles. And ladies, I want to just tell you something um, as a man, I want to tell you that you have been lied to uh, in many ways as women, but one of the main lies that you've been told is that you don't need a man. You've been told that you don't need a man except to have babies. That is, that is what's being taught in our culture. You don't need a man to rescue you from that fire-breathing dragon because you're strong enough to take care of yourself. And I just met, um, just recently I was um, trying to help a, a lady um, carry something that was, I thought was heavy and uh, just, you know, show a little chivalry and chivalry. And it's one of those things where I, f I felt like I offended her by saying, hey, can I help you with that? 
uh, she was like, uh, no thanks, I've got it. I, and she said this, she said, I'm a strong woman. And I want to go, yes, you are. Most women are, okay? And, and, and it's a good thing. It's not bad for a woman to be strong. You are, I'm not going to stand up here and go, y'all are strong. Y'all know you're strong, okay? I don't have to tell you that. But the mindset that you've been taught, ladies, is that you can do anything a man can do, and you ought to do anything a man can do. Otherwise, it's not equal. And I'm, I'm just telling you that that's a lie that's being told to you. Um, and I also want to tell you, whew, I want to tell you, ladies, you need us as a man. I want to tell you, you, you need us. Now, you know we need you. Okay, ladies, you know that men need you. Scripture says it is not good for a man to be alone. We know that, right? But ladies, I want you to know something. You need men, and you need men to be men. Thank you. <laughs> Godly men. You need us to be sacrificial. You need us to be servants. And you need us to be masculine. Masculine leaders. And that's what it looks like in a man when Jesus is reigning in him supremely. That's how Jesus lived as a man. Now, yes, Jesus was gentle and lowly. He was gentle and lowly, but he was no pushover. He was strong and he was masculine. And so, husbands and fathers, I want to ask you something. I kind of touched on it earlier, but are you growing, husbands and fathers, as a sacrificial, masculine, servant leader? Are you growing in that, or are you a parked car? You know, actually, spiritually speaking, there's no such thing as a car that's not moving, because you're either moving forward or you're rolling backwards. There's no such thing as neutral in the spiritual realm. And there's, no, there's actually no such thing as you're not leading. You know, you're a leader, gentlemen, whether you acknowledge it or not. You're just either a good leader or you are a bad leader. And you are leading your wife and you are leading your family somewhere. You're either leading your family into the light or you are leading them into the darkness. And husbands, we are called to be a faithful picture of Christ. Now notice I said faithful. I did not say perfect. Faithful. None of us are perfect. Only Christ was perfect. But we are called to be a faithful picture of Christ to our wives, to our sons, and to our daughters. And gentlemen, we have been lied to. Um, we have been, the, the world is trying to shame us into suppressing our masculinity. I think the word masculinity is just as offensive as the word submit in this day and age. And it feels like, sometimes, gentlemen, it feels like being masculine is a crime if you're a man. Now, if you're not a man, it's not a crime. You can show masculine tendencies all you want. But if you're a man, we have been told, we've been lied to, that it's, it's almost like a crime. And, you know, our wives and our children so desperately need for the sacrificial, masculine, servant, leader, man to show up. And I remember, you know, God teaches me, has taught me some things 
uh, when I was a younger boy at Carowinds. You know what Carowinds is? It's Disney World for rednecks, okay? <laughs> and I'm a redneck, okay? And that's where my mom and youth groups go and blah, blah, blah. But I remember when I was about 11 or 12, God gave me two examples from Carowinds that, that have just burned in my mind when I was younger. The first one was when I was 11 or 12. My mom took us, and we were standing in line. You know how they say, this is your dream world, and you're standing in line in the hot sun. You're like, is this my dream? But anyway, we were waiting. It was summer. We were waiting in line. It's hot. We're all like, can't wait to get to the front of the line, and it's long. And all of a sudden, these two teenage boys who were bigger and stronger than me and my mom, and it seemed like everyone else in the line, snuck and just got in front of everybody. And I'm sitting there going... I can feel this is not right, and there's nothing I could do about it. Ah, and then, from behind me, I heard this deep, masculine voice say, gentlemen, the line forms at the rear. And those boys looked at him, and they, they went and got in the back of the line. And I, I was like, man, that's what I want to be one day. That's a man right there. Uh, he looked like John Smith from Pocahontas, that, you know. <laughs> anyway. Now, another time I was at Carowinds. <laughs> My aunt I was at Carowinds, and I was standing in line again, okay? This time I was like uh, in a, a high school a senior with my best friend. But anyway, so in the line in front of me, there was a, a, a father, a mother, and a little, a teenage boy. And they were, I don't know what the mom and, and son were arguing over, but all of a sudden the, young, the, the son got angry and he smacked his mom in the face, just like that. And I was like standing there and I looked over at the dad. What's he going to do? And he just stood there. He didn't do anything. I was like, that is not what I'm going to be. He did not show up. He did not stand in the gap for his wife during that situation. I can almost cry right now just thinking about that. And husbands and fathers, we need to understand that our wives and children desperately need us to show up. And it's not just to provide for them financially, although we do need to show up that way if, if we are able to do that. But we need to show up to protect our wives and our children. We need to protect our wives. We need to protect our daughters, gentlemen. Um, there was a, a child predator that uh, was convicted, and he gave his testimony. And he was asked, you know, what did you look for when you were looking for uh, a victim? And he said, I would look at the family, and I would look at the husband or the father. And if he was a threat, I moved on. Gentlemen, we need to be a threat to other predators, to other men who would seek to destroy or harm our families. So we need to provide, we need to protect, and we need to be presently engaged physically, mentally, and spiritually, gentlemen. We need to show up, don't we? But in order to show up, many of us have got to grow up. As one pastor said, to become men, we need to become men, not just boys who can shave. And there is a difference in being a man 
and a boy who can shave. And I'm not, I hope you know I'm not talking about being some macho man or being like the father in um, Sound of Music. I hope I didn't go too far back in the, in the archives. I'm not talking about being a man from the flesh. I'm talking about being a man who's full of Jesus. We need to learn how to sacrifice, gentlemen, our personal desires, our boy hobbies. We need to learn how to confess our secret sins and repent of them. It may even mean that we need to sacrifice that that promotion, sacrifice our careers, in order to show up in love and lead our wives and our children. As we are following Jesus, they will follow us. We are called to live sacrificial lives that are marked by the love of Christ. And if you find yourself having a problem being motivated, gentlemen, to do this, as I do often, I'm just like you, then I'm not going to stand up here and say, well, then you need to try harder. You need to man up. I'm not going to say that to you. You know what you need to do? You need to remember the gospel. You need to turn your eyes on Jesus, how Christ laid down his life for you. You need to let that soak in. You need to let that penetrate your heart, his love. Let the sacrificial love of Jesus be your motivation And I'm telling you, when that happens, you are going to want to lead your family. Christ's love is the motivation, his sacrifice, his example, how he laid down his life. Gentlemen, we've been called to lay down our lives. All right, children. Talk to y'all real quick. A child, you know what a child is, Jude? Oh, your sister? Okay. Okay. A child is, uh, is someone that uh, is under their parents and can't provide for themselves or take care of themselves. Even though you might think you can, if you were to like push out the front door, you wouldn't be able to provide for yourself. So you're under the authority of your parents. Um, and when Christ, Jesus reigns supremely in a child, uh, children become obedient rebels. Obedient rebels. I'm, I'll, tell, I'll tell you what I mean by that in just a second. Obedient rebels, okay? So uh, verse 20 says, children, obey your parents. What? In everything. Why? This pleases the Lord. When you're in Christ, he's filling you and you obey your parents, it pleases the Lord. And I want you to know that, children, if you are in Christ, if you are his, then I want you to know you're part of this church. You are a member of this church. This is not just mommy and daddy's church. This is your church. We want you to take ownership of this church. We want you to grow in your gifts, to use your gifts, within this church. So I want you to know that. Secondly, young people, if you want to rebel, I want to encourage you to become an obedient rebel. Because, you know, um, every, and obey your parents. Obey your parents. Because every uh, teenager is rebelling. I mean, everybody's doing that. You Rebel against that. Obey your parents. Tell your friends you want to rebel? Go to school and tell your parents, uh, your friends, man, my parents are awesome. 
and I love them, and I listen to them, and I obey them, and I, I've got great parents. And tell your, um, I'm sorry, and respect your parents. Show respect to your parents. You want to win your parents, young people? You know how you win your parents? It's not with this. This will not win your parents. You know what wins your parents? Is your life. <laughs> I've been a, a child, and I've been a parent. And I know how, this, how God has set things up. Win your parents through the way you live your life, the way you, that you obey your parents. And you know what your motivation is? Jesus. Jesus is, is our motivation. Luke chapter 2, it talks about how Jesus, says that Jesus, who created Adam, us, what were their names? Mary and Joseph, said, says that he submitted himself. The creator submitted himself to his parents. He knew more than his parents. He knew everything, and yet he submitted himself to his parents. And also, as I've already talked, he submitted himself to his father by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. All right, lastly, let's look at um, bond servants and masters. When Jesus reigns supremely, work and work relationships become opportunities to serve the Lord now, this is not a, um, we don't have this exact category in our culture today, but it is one that uh, we can gain some application from. So let's look at the, the, the scripture, verse 22. It says, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, and here's what, why. Knowing that the Lord will you, um, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Here's the key. You are serving not your master, not your boss. You are serving the Lord, Jesus Christ. Verse 25, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Chapter 4, verse 1, masters, treat your bondservants uh, justly and fairly, why? Knowing that you have a master in heaven. Now, I know that, that the question that comes up here uh, whenever we, we look at bondservants or, or slaves and masters, the question is, why didn't Paul and the New Testament writers seek to abolish slavery in the first century church? And, you know, this is a super long conversation that we don't have time for. Um, I actually preached a message on this back when we were in Exodus that's entitled, Does the Bible Condone Slavery? Um, I'm going to get Boaz to put a link in the bottom of this uh, video here that you can go to and, and watch it if you want to. Um, so I don't have time to go fully into it, but I, I do want to say a couple things here. Um, we need to understand that back in the day, uh, this, this uh, system was not like the transatlantic slave trade that we know here in the U.S. That is not what happened here. Um, back then, um, it's reported that between 30 to 50% of the population were some type of bond servant or slave and had a relationship that way with, their, uh, with masters. Um, some were doctors, some were lawyers, and even politicians were bond servants. And this is a situation, a society that didn't have banks, that you could just have a credit card and, you know, if you're getting in problems, you just charge it and hope that you can make it up later. No, you had to, you had to sell yourself and sometimes your family and go live with someone that had a lot of money who had been your master and serve that way. 
Um, obviously, there's, there was abuse taking place in that. And so what Paul is doing here, he's preaching the gospel to, to, uh, to uh, transform and to, to cause, uh, show what the relationships between a worker and a boss or a master should be like. Uh, to abolish slavery... Uh, would have not been wise. It would be like uh, in our culture today uh, with the police department, if we were trying to deal with police brutality, the last thing we would want to do is just destroy the whole, the, the whole system, cause the police to, uh, to uh, what's it called? Eradicate the police. If we did that, anarchy would break out in our country. And so abolishing slavery would have caused uh, the entire Roman society to collapse. Uh, that's, not a, that's not the full answer, but that's, those are some things to think about as you're thinking about this. And um, what I do want to point out here is that bond servants, one of the things that happened is happening here in this passage is that bond servants are being elevated to equality uh, and dignity and value as their masters. Again, this would have been offensive to the, the ears of the first century mind. And... Um, and uh, when Jesus is supreme in the life of a bondservant, listen, and those of you who are uh, employed to an employer, you have a boss above you, when Jesus is supreme in your life, then your work becomes a ministry. It becomes ministry. It's not just work. That's why it says work heartily as for the Lord and not men. And then likewise, when an earthly master or a boss, if you are a boss, if you're overseeing anyone, um, if you are under the Lordship of Christ, then you will treat your employees equally as equal people um, as the Lord treats us, his servants. You'll treat them justly and you will treat them fairly. You know, in all these areas that I've just mentioned, um, Jesus is an example to all of us in all of these areas, isn't he? He was the, he, 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 he modeled perfect submission. He modeled sacrificial love. He modeled perfect obedience. He modeled what it looks like when a servant is serving. And he, he modeled what it looks like to be the Lord and master over us all. Those, he is the one that we need to look to in these situations in order to live lives that bring glory to God. And may Jesus be supreme in our hearts, in our minds, in our relationships, in our church, as we seek to live lives that bring glory to God. Amen? Amen.